So in this episode today, you're going to hear another session from the Talking Health Tech Autumn Summit, which was a virtual event that we held a few weeks ago, exclusive for our THT Plus members. If you're not yet in the THT Plus community, you should check it out because you get access to our quarterly virtual summits and the recordings from all the previous ones that we've held. You get access to our exclusive community forum. We've just done a big revamp within the forum and there's some great engagement where a lot of members are connecting with each other. Everything from digital health strategists who've been in the game for a long time, right through to frontline clinicians who just want to learn more about the technology space. There's heaps more too. Discounts on partner events. We have special offers. We have other exclusive events just for our members. If you're into digital health, this is your tribe. So check it out. Go to talkinghealthtech.com slash THT plus. And it's a great way to support this show as well. Special thanks to Best Practice Software, who were gold sponsors for our Autumn Summit, who are bringing you this session today. Hope you enjoy. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Between now and the end of June, we're conducting the 2024 Talking Health Tech audience survey. This helps us prioritize content, hone in key messages, and refine the show to make it even better. We also want to understand who the biggest cohorts of our audience are. So I'd love for you to take five or 10 minutes to have your say and complete the survey. Everyone who completes it goes in the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of THT Plus membership credits to put towards a membership for yourself as an individual or to help get the word out about your company. The link to complete the survey is in the show notes of this episode or just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey. How can general practitioners adapt to the current climate of primary care health reform? Let's explore how to access funding and understand sustainability as we navigate the challenges and opportunities in primary care health reform to help general practitioners not just survive, but thrive as providers. This is session six of the Talking Health Tech Autumn Summit on general practice reform. I'll be moderating a discussion with Dr. Colin Goodson, Chief Medical Officer at Better Medical. Dr. Maria Bolton, President of the AMA Queensland and Director and Founder of Family Doctors Plus and Corporate Doctors Plus. And Daniel Bancroft, Chief Product Officer at Best Practice Software. We're ready to roll. We've got our first session here on the screen and I can see the chat is warming up, people introducing themselves. Can I just say before we start though, it looks like Frayne put in a, he must have put a prompt to chat GPT saying, put me something funny and clever to write into the chat about an Australian health tech thing. I'm trying, I'm backwards engineering the prompt here and the, the joke is pretty average. So I'm hoping that, so the joke is nine regenerates, uh, so, sorry, did you hear about the tech savvy kangaroo? It had a optical fiber connection for lightning fast healthcare update. It doesn't, it doesn't even make me go, oh, Frank. So anyway, but it's still, it was worth enough for me to put it on the screen and warm us up because I think that set the bar for then uh, to be low because this conversation that we're going to have is much more engaging and interesting. So I'm going to give each of the panelists an opportunity to introduce themselves in the context of this discussion. And I guess the timing of it is really interesting too because if we're um, you know, Danielle, I might start with you. If we're going to be having a discussion around GP reform, this is either a really good time or a really bad time to do it. What, what are your thoughts? Give some more content. Thanks, Pete. Um, so I guess it is, you know, GP reform is one of those topics that means many different things to different people, depending on what day it is. Um, from best practice point of view, in light of the recent budget announcements and the confirmation of new grants for GP clinics as a result of the strengthening Medicare task force, 
Today seems like a really opportune moment to have a discussion around what are some practical implementations, um, what are some approaches the clinics can take to really sort of, you know, look at how they address those reform measures and how they can help them scale into the next 12 months and beyond. Because I think ideally we want to look at, you know, what those reforms are and how we can help our clinics be um, as, as robust as possible moving forward. Gotcha. Um, from my perspective, one really great example is the triple bulk billing. Um, it's a huge topic of hot debate. It's interesting before anyone really makes any decisions, I think it's really important that they take a look at what their clinic patient makeup is. Um, you know, there are some really great analytics partners out there. Cubico is a great example. They have a patient-centered report that you can use to actually model what those incentive changes will make to your clinic. And so it helps you make a really informed decision around what you can do moving forward with that particular reform. And for those that might not be totally across, you know, where we've kind of, because I think there's an opportunity for us to just jump into the deep end and go, let's, let's unpack this and understand a little bit more, but maybe Danielle as well, just to give a bit more context in terms of when you say reform, it's kind of like a big thing. We're talking yeah, about GPs in the general practice space. Yeah. Let, let's give a bit more context in terms of, you know, the, the, how we're shaping this discussion because we've also got, and then we'll go to Maria and Colin as well, who bring some real kind of firsthand insights. So I think the main thing is if we're really talking about reform, it's in, it's important to focus on, you know, there are some buckets of money that have been provided for our, our clinics. Um, but what does that actually mean in terms of digital tools you can use, who your partners are, what are some approaches you can take? Um, ideally, you know, someone like Colin, he, he looks at it from a very different perspective. They have quite the corporate group. Um, they'll have some practical approaches they use at scale. Um, Maria has a number of accessible, uh, successful clinics as well. So from her perspective, is there anything you guys are doing or have looked at that will really help some of the clinics adopt around, you know, how they approach the next 12 months as well? Got you. Thank you. And I encourage anyone in the chat to, to leave a, a question or a comment and, you know, we're, we're in you know, the chose to do the summit during budget week, which is good, good and good and bad. And it's also like all kind of stuff happening real time. So, um, but Colin, I'm going to go to you for a bit more of an introduction. Tell us a bit more about you and the, and, and the work you do. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thanks for the invite and the opportunity. Um, yeah, I think my, my background is uh, interesting. I'm obviously from the, from the UK originally, and that's where I trained as a, a GP and, and I worked there, um, as both a locum doctor and then as a, as a partner. And I was there in the early days of the, the new, the, the contract, the 2004 contract, um, which, you know, I, I hear a lot of discussion with these reforms around capitation and, um, and the threats of threats for occupation enrollment and, and capitation. But I, I've kind of lived that experience, but I, I, I'm not sure what the right word to use is, but I escaped or I left the NHS, um, in 2012 and came to Australia where I worked as a, initially as a contractor, a tenant doctor in a, in a very small practice in, in Adelaide where, where I still work now. Um, and that, at that time there was only three doctors, but there was an, an intention to grow and it did grow. Um, and I became a partner in, in a, in a group partnership, um, in that group. And we grew up to, to four, four reasonably big clinics. Um, so I've also been a GP-owned clinics. For various reasons, we sold those clinics in 2019, and we sold them to what was quite a small group 
but it was a group at the time called Better Medical. I think it was 15 clinics when we, when we joined in 2019. And that went well for us. And six months after that, I was asked to, to join the group or to, or to join this leadership team in a clinical governance role. But that was just as COVID smashed us. Um, and I think through that, the Better Medical Group, which was still growing at the time through acquisition, realized the advantage and the importance of having a GP voice in that, sort of, in that leadership team, not just around clinical governance, but actually around almost all elements of the, of the business. So that the, it's what you lose, I think, with possibly when you, when you join a large group from a GP-owned group is that clinician input into what's going on in the clinic, what tools are being used, what services you're providing. And that's, and that's really my role now with the medical group. I still work two days a week clinically. Um, and I, I lead a team of, of doctors now, now that the group's sort of 70 clinics who, who provide that voice into the, the clinic around operations and how we use technology and how we'll, how we'll, um, use the, the funding that's come through this, this, uh, recent budget change and the, um, strengthening Medicare grants. Got you. Excellent. Thank you, Colin. And. Maria as well, you know, bringing some similar but different perspectives. Welcome. Tell us a bit more about you. Hi. Hi, everyone. Uh, and I'm joining you from Turbul, Yagura country. So I'm a GP. I've been a GP for about 20 years. I worked in regional Queensland for some of that and then made the move back to Brisbane where, um, yeah, I was talking to to Dr. Fiona Rossetti and we were a little bit unhappy with what we were doing and where we were working and we decided that We'd go into business together and um, and have our own clinic, and um, and from that uh, our business has grown. And you know, it became really clear as a business owner how hard it was to really keep up providing those medical services with the dwindling uh, funding we get from the government. So, um, you know, we decided to become involved in advocacy, um, but we're also quite innovative, and uh, and I think that's what's um, really stood us in good ground, especially during COVID. We uh, were quite early adopters of, of any technology that will help us to work smarter and not harder. And I think in the future, given the issues with uh, shortages of uh, health workforce, I think that's going to become even more important. Um, and I know that we hear a lot about reform, but at the end of the day, you really have to understand your, your P&L. Uh, you really have to understand your expenses, your income. And it really needs to work for you. And uh, we do tend to test anything we try uh, with our business plan. So, so that's really, really important. And uh, and with all the you know the budget announcements on Tuesday night, once again, like Danielle said, it's just running them through your practices, through your business plan, and and see what what you need to adopt and what's best left on the table. And you know, in that context, then you know, budget announcements, and uh, you know, I heard you. The Talking Health Tech podcast has evolved a lot over the years, all based on audience feedback. Now I need your help, yes you, to shape the future of this show. Between now and the end of June, we're running our biggest campaign to date in order to understand what makes the global healthcare ecosystem tick. Last time we ran our Talking Health Tech audience survey, we learnt 40% of our audience are clinicians, 77% of our audience tune in for professional development and market awareness. 8% of people listen to Talking Health Tech for competitor profiling, and only 2% of people listen to the podcast to fall asleep. And this time around, I can't wait to find out about your preferences for audio versus video content, which topics we should dive into more, 
preferences for hosts and formats and geographical reach and so much more. And don't worry, we'll be sharing all the insights once all the responses are collected as well. So if you're a supporter of Talking Health Tech and you can spare five or ten minutes, please complete our 2024 audience survey. And to say thanks for your input, everyone who completes the survey goes into the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of credits towards THT Plus membership. Go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey or the links in the show notes of this episode as well. Uh, say buckets of money and, and you know, buckets of money usually, uh, I think Colin mentioned that one or, or Danielle, you know, that usually perks the ears of some people. But I think importantly, generally too, thinking from the context of clinic owners, those that are that are doing things on a on a day to day. Danielle, I might go back to you know that to you, you know, where where uh, a lot of the narrative over the well for a long time has been about, you know, for, for GPs, it's it's becoming an increasingly difficult landscape to to run a clinic, increasing kind of burden of responsibilities, all these things. And and Maria and Colin know that firsthand and could share a lot of that too. Um, you know, has uh, with although it's all relatively still pretty fresh, you know, with these recent things that have been announced this week through the budget and other kind of conversations going on, are, are we kind of pointing down the right direction? I think it's a, it's not a one size fits all to kind of flow on from what Maria is saying. Really, um, I think the important thing is is you really do need to take a step back. Not every one of those reform initiatives are going to suit every clinic. Um, the reality is you have different patients, different setups, different areas. I think it's really good to not even not only lean into what is your PNL and what what how does your practice run, but it's really important to also reach out to your partners. So, you know, having discussions with your PHN, they are there to support you in terms of what's available, eligibility criteria. Um, are there any grants that you're capable of, um, of of actually seeking as well? But there's also you know looking at what your digital partners are that can help help you as well. To Maria's point efficiencies are some of the most important parts of how can you actually run the clinic more effectively and, and minimize those costs as well. So it's really stepping back and understanding what is the patient journey that you want to provide your patients ultimately? What is that patient experience? How can you provide them the best patient experience? And a lot of those touch points where things might not be running quite efficiently right now, you can solve by looking at what are your digital partners you can put in those places. Um, patients expect an omni-channel experience. We get it in retail. We get it at the bank. Um, I know it's it's healthcare, but at the same time, we really want to make sure that patients have opportunity to engage with us in multiple different pathways. That can be face-to-face. That can be telehealth. You don't actually have to choose one. It's how do you expand those options to make sure that the patient can engage with you within the walls, but also beyond those four walls of your clinic as seamlessly as possible as we move forward. That's what provides scalability. Good one. Speaking of scalability, Colin, you know, going from the the the, the smaller clinics into the rolling up into a, the, the bigger corporate side and just thinking about, you know, larger groups of clinics, are these kind of similar themes that you're seeing across the the, the larger group too? Yeah, de- definitely similar, similar themes. And um, Maria sort of alluded to the you know the, the the being innovative and adopting technologies as they as they come along, and I think the thing I've I've recognised working now within a harder group is that I, I'm I'm very keen to innovate and to use these new technologies. But within our cohort of doctors, we have a lot of doctors who are um, concerned about that or or, or or resistant because they they don't under understand or appreciate perhaps the benefits, and they're very happy with doing things the way they've been done for for some time. 
And we have to, we, you know, as a group, we will acknowledge that and, and work with that. And that can make it more difficult for us to, to roll out some of these technologies. But at the same time, um, you know, I think the, the recent budget, for me, it's given me a bit of a morale boost because I think it, I, I, I'm seeing that the government is valuing primary care um, and wants a stable primary care system. And th- these funding models, th- this, is, this is for patients. It's particularly for those disadvantaged patients. It's, it's not for doctors, not just for doctors, but we do need to find a way to, to use that and to use the technologies that we've got to, to provide more team-based care. And that's a big change for, for some doctors, um, for some clinics, more so than others. But we have technologies now that we that we that we can use to do that. I, I get um, in my own clinic. I, I get doctors complain, not complaining, but sort of pointing out the difference between a, a telephone consult and a face to face consult. But I think we've adopted telehealth through COVID, where we've just replaced face to face with with another technology. But in fact, we can use it differently, and we can use it to improve access. We can use other team members, perhaps, with some of this new funding. So I think it's going to be very interesting where where we go. But as it, to your point about the larger group, um, for me, it's about acknowledging that every clinic is different. We don't try to treat all our clinics as as one. We don't view ourselves as a, as a McDonald's provider of care, um, but we offer the same services. We'll offer all our clinics to adopt technologies as as as, as we can and and support them to do so. Yeah, that's good to know. And and Maria, you you would. See in your work, both in in you know running clinics, seeing patients, and and everything. Also, you're you're like many GPs involved in in um, a number of different things, and also in your in your role as as AMA Queensland president. So you would see um, uh, definitely that that the one size fits all approach is is not going to work for clinicians. So some of those points that Colin has raised in terms of you know shifting more to to team based care resonating with um the gps in queensland as well yeah absolutely and and you know queensland is a special state we're very large and um we have rural and remote gps that um, sometimes also work within the hospital they deliver babies so of course there's going to be location specific needs for for all the all the clinicians and all the patients and um and i think it's it's really listening to what um, those, I suppose, those local health practitioners need and what that community really needs and responding to that. Um, we are, we're very lucky though that, um, through my experience, we've aligned with brilliant, um, a brilliant external team. So I know we all have an internal team of people that we work with, our brilliant practice managers, receptionists, nurses, but we also have a team of external providers and, uh, and in the tech space, it's been fabulous because we've been able to to really discuss things that um, that would help us, and and we've been able to design things and have them tested to see whether they work out and modify them. and And I think if there's something to be learned, is to really align yourself with providers that actually listen to what your needs are and that can adapt them to your particular clinic or to your particular doctor. Uh, and uh, you know, it makes your life so much easier. Yeah. No, and that's and that's and I can sense that kind of um, you know uh, excitement coming through. There's there's you know in the chat as well. I can see 
you know, Brian's pointed out, we're moving from that that old uh, model to to consumer centric care. There's there's a lot of uh, ways to go. You know, a, a comment from Danielle too. I might go to sorry, Daniel. I might go to Danielle to to speak to this one. Um, but the this point around, you know, I, I guess a little bit like how you said too that the the, the omni channel or like you know we 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 want our healthcare to be like our banking and and like how we do our Ubering and all the things that the kids do with the phones. Um, but the um, that that you know making it super easy to use in in an industry that requires uh, a lot of stakeholders and a lot of consent and 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 sensitive data that's a fine balance to to work with right that's right I, you know healthcare is one of the most regulated industries there are so it's really interesting because people want to come in and disrupt but it's a fine line between disruption and ensuring safety because where you get to in healthcare is the patient, it's a life-saving thing, right? You are on a fine line balance of how do we help our patients and ensuring quality of care. Um, you can find that balance though, and I think we've we've absolutely shown in recent years how we can do that effectively across industry. Um, co-design as an approach, you know, that is the most important way, not just when we have big national projects, but when you're actually looking at it from your from your tech partners as well, you really need to make sure they are co-designing, not just with clinicians, but with patients, um, really testing that out and actually getting it across a wide range of stakeholders. Then you can get far more effective uh, technology that does support those seamless pathways that that patients expect. Um, I don't, you know, e-prescribing was a classic example during the pandemic that was done really well across the industry to make sure that we could deliver a design system that would actually support patients, providers, um, clinicians across that spectrum. Uh, Maria, Colin, anything additional to, to add on that point in relation to the data? I think as a practice owner, you do have the responsibility of ensuring that all your patient data is as safe as possible and that your patients are aware of where their data might be going or what data you might be collecting and ensure that they understand it and that they consent to all of that. And, and you know, it's a huge responsibility. And uh, and we know that um, the other thing that's really important is cybersecurity. Uh, and once again, we take that responsibility really seriously, but it does take time to learn about, um, about how to best protect your patient's data. And um, and, and and you do have to devote that time to ensuring that you have the best possible protection, the best possible cybersecurity, et cetera, because at the end of the day, your patients are trusting you with all that. And I mean, at the end of the day, we're really careful. Any, you know, when we get, we get a lot of insurance and uh, legal report requests, we always bring the patients in or ring them up and ensure that they're happy uh, with the content of anything that's to be released before it's released. And um, And I think our patients really appreciate that. I just, think I would. Uh, just yeah, not, add to that. Sorry, Colin. You can. No, you go, um, I was just going to add to that. I think the cybersecurity one's really interesting because there are a range of education pieces around that, to Maria's point, where um, more and more is being made available. So even not just from a technical perspective, but from the everyday perspective, being able to actually provide some, you know, approaches to cybersecurity training within the clinics, that's going to become important as well. You know, how do you handle data? How do you have private conversations? Um, how do you, you know, um, work with your systems? 
that can all be addressed even at that clinic level. And I think it's really important we start looking at that as well, because as you said, patients really want to make sure that their data is being handled and handled appropriately. Absolutely. Yeah, I was just going to, so two points really. One is that cybersecurity is is absolutely crucial. I think everyone uh, appreciates that, but there is a, a big education piece. But one of the um, frustrations I have as a clinician when I'm working clinically is I log in in the morning and I log into four or five different technological platforms, each with their own password and their own um, authentication. And it, it's great for security, but it will be, it, it, it also, that can can slow down adoption for, for some clinicians, I think. And the, the sooner we can have that ecosystem um, managed in a, in a cyber secure and safe way, that will that will help with adoption of, of some of the, the technologies. And then the other bit around data is, obviously data is very valuable, very, um, very important to us. And, and as a large organization, I think I, one thing I've observed quite rightly is all these technologies are being developed mostly to, to run in one, in one clinic, but we all use our technology slightly differently. And when we've, when we've developed, when we've acquired clinics, they're using their best practice system or their other technologies in a slightly different way. That means when the data mm. is collected, it's not, not as you, you, it's not as usable. And I think that's uh, uh, an issue that uh, anyone who's looking to own this data or to have this data or use this data is, um, is, is working to, 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 to navigate. But we have to be very careful around who actually owns that. Is it, is it the patient? Is it the doctor? Is it the clinic? And um, I'm not sure that's clear. Yeah, yeah. Just on the, Pete, I just want to touch on the um, multidisciplinary one because I think it actually leads in really nicely to where we're talking about data here as well. Um, you know, Samir has asked, how does that fit in the context? Is it is it within the clinic itself or is it outside um, across organizations? I think a lot of the cross-organization comes down to interoperability itself, real-time data actually being available from the source. It, it is what the clinicians need. You want to be able to see the full information that can help you provide the best care to the patient in real time. Um, and I think part of that is being enabled by government initiatives and industry working together to figure out how we actually make that possible moving forward. I don't think we, you know, there is definitely multidisciplinary in clinics today. That's always been the case. We've got several customers that actually do it that way. Um, it'll come down to what works for the clinic and their patients. Yes, there'll be cross care within the actual clinic, but I think it's also really important that we start to enable it at a technical level across all clinics as well. That's right. And, you know, from, from a consumer perspective, that, um, uh, that there's just an expectation that's something we need to to bring. Um, I, I can see some specific questions about, uh, definitely you, you, you talk about data and, and, and the chat lights up. So uh, that's what I've learned. And I think as well too, and, and for, not, not to, to um, derail, but just to kind of emphasize that point from a uh, vendor's point of view, from a clinic owner's point of view, if you are building something to, to be of say commercial value as a business, yes, you're delivering on patient needs and all that kind of stuff. You'll always get advice saying your differentiator is going to be your, your data. So collect your data and make sure it's, uh, useful because AI or because, you know, insights or competitive advantage, but the more data you collect, the more risk you're bringing on. So if anything, if you don't need the data, don't take the data because, mm you've now got something that someone else can take off you. So there's almost like this, this, you know, that strong kind of pull because you can be, there's so much data we can collect and it's like, oh, I've got to hold on to it because otherwise my thing's not going to be valuable or I won't know how to 
do stuff, but um, all of a sudden you become this um, beacon for, for, for trouble. And I guess it comes to James's point, you know, are there's, I guess there's standards or there's, there's, you know, for, for um, accreditation, I would think that James, to James's point about, you know, uh, cybersecurity levels for IT firms, I'm sure there's from an accreditation point of view, perhaps, you know, the, the expectations or anything. I'm, I'm not too sure on, the, on, on that one myself. I can see points around, um, you know, uh, Jacomi's brought up around a, a longer point uh, on particular examples. Um, Christine has put a question to, to, to Colin, you know, or, or a point to Colin as well, that there are ways around the whole kind of um, uh, multiple systems needing, needing access to. So um, it sounds like something that everyone's kind of feeling. Um, Maria, what's your kind of vibe looking at a lot of the conversations that are happening in the, the chat now and, and where we go to now, given that we're, we're, we've started this conversation around GP reform, how do we bring it back to some of these kind of basics or things that people can start to take away from this session and, and, and build upon? Look, I think the basics is um, really align yourself with people that will make your life easier. Um, we, we, um, we don't only serve our patients, but we also serve the GPs that we work with, the allied health professionals that we work with, the uh, non-GP specialists that we work with. Um, and we also do a lot of, um, we serve our business. So, so whatever is going to make it easier for you to run your business analytics so that you're not wasting time on, on Excel spreadsheets. Um, and whatever is going to make it easier for you to interact with your patients. Some of it will need testing. So not everything will work. Uh, and, um, and that's where, you know, you have to bring your team along with you and also encourage them to give you their opinion. How is this working for you? And are there any changes that you suggest? And then you take them back to your, to your tech partner. Um, with the data, and I, I read um, something about essential aid, really, really important, um, and uh, and not only for GP clinics, but, you know, I belong to many organisations and and that's conversations we've, we've been having for some time now because uh, you know, the other thing that comes um, to play in GP clinics is credit cards. So what are you doing with those credit card numbers? Are you, are you storing them or are you not storing them? So really basic little things like that and understanding what happens with all that data is really, really key. Yeah. Conscious of time, uh, the starting to round out to Colin, any other final thoughts or reflections as we, you know, come off the back of budgets and, and see the excitement in the chat? Um, what, what do we take away from this discussion? I, I, I think for me, the, the thing I want to get, I'm, I'm working on is, is how, how do we build team-based care into the current funding model, the fee-for-service model, the blended funding model. I, I don't question team-based care. My experience in the UK was that um, you can provide very high-quality healthcare using other members of the team, um, and the continuity of care. I don't, you know, I, I can't quote evidence, but I think there's plenty out there that continuity of care is, is really important, particularly for those patients with with, with chronic disease. And I think that's what I'm seeing. The intention of the the budget changes is to is to drive that forward. And I think we we as a profession need to to look to how we can embrace that. Absolutely. And Danielle, bring us home. What's the final takeaways? I think the really important part, I guess, you know, the first point Maria made is really pivotal: is take a step back and have a look at your business today, understand where the clinic is at, what you're actually providing. Um, then I think the next step is to sort of look at what options are available to you and figure out which ones align 
I also strongly recommend, and it's a discussion I think we've had before, doing the patient journey. What does the patient journey look like in your clinic today? What is the patient's touch points? And where do you think there are some pain points today? Because that'll really help set you up for where some of those digital solutions and tech partners can help you improve those experiences as well. Well, look, I um, encourage, I think that this theme around data interoperability, team-based care and and reform are going to be consistent in in all of the sessions today. So I encourage Danielle, Maria, Colin to keep the conversation going in the chat. Thank you to you for jumping on the stage. Now we're going to uh, head to the next session. And thank you to um, participants as well in the chat. Let's keep it coming. Thanks, everyone. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end of this episode. If you made it this far, you're the perfect person that I want to hear from. Our THT Plus audience survey is now open until the end of June, and I personally read every submission. In fact, if you leave a comment in the survey that you heard this promotion in a podcast episode, I promise I'll reply directly to you by email with a personal note of thanks, and I'll even buy your coffee next time I see you in person. It's pretty easy. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey and have your say. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.